Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They say that the floors creak with footsteps when there's no one there. Chandeliers swing wildly, pots and pans clang in the kitchen, and heated rooms turn mysteriously cold. And at night, when all is quiet, they hear the soft cries from a man coming down that long upstairs hallway. Right outside the door of where we slept. All of that stuff could be us. Just- <laughs> going to say <laughs> sounds of a youngish looking older gentleman going to the bathroom seven times in the middle of the night it's not a ghost folks this is the dear bob and sue podcast stories from our journey to all the u.s national parks and some haunted national park lodges i'm matt smith And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's special Halloween episode, we're taking you to some supposedly haunted hotels in and around the national parks. These lodges are all at least 100 years old. But is it old age that's causing creaking floorboards, rattling doors, and sounds of crying and moaning? Or is it something more? Could it be that the former residents of the hotel have never left? So fasten your sheet belts. It's going to be a fantastic, scary ride. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> it's time to get this party startled. This is one of your favorite times of the year, Halloween and ghost stories and all sorts of silliness. I know. I love this time of year, and I love doing a Halloween episode. After our episode last year about Mammoth Cave, I've been waiting for, what, 11 and three quarters of a month to do another Halloween episode. I know. And it's always this time of year where the the ghost stories come out. You know, I had this... I need to tell you about this dream I had last night. I, I had this horrifying dream that we were preparing for this podcast episode, uh-huh. and I was reading the outline, and I kept scrolling and scrolling <laughs> and scrolling down the document, trying to find the bottom, and it just went on and odd and i got more and more frightened as i went page after page the ghost stories just didn't end but you know what was weird what then i woke up and i realized it wasn't a dream i had fallen asleep reading the outline for this episode okay and i was i was 
terrified. <laughs> it is a little terrifying because this is the longest outline we have ever had for a podcast episode. It's like double. This one is 10 pages long. But we shouldn't say that up front because now people are well, going to think it's long and boring. Well, get a snack, folks. Get a snack. Get a blanket. People are going to report that they fell asleep listening to the episode and then they woke up the next morning and it was still going. And that's their horror story. (laughs) No, the reason it's so long is because all of these hauntings in the National Park uh, Lodges have to do with the history of the hotel. So lucky for me, there's a lot of History Channel in this too, because we have to talk about the history of the hotel and then why people think it's haunted with characters from the past. Well, not characters, real people Char- from the past. Characters, yeah. <laughs> characters you made up. So we're going to go from it's gonna go from <laughs> coffee to beer time in the course yeah. of the entire episode. I'll try to keep it moving, though. You know, it was originally going to be, this episode was going to be about bats, because of course, at Halloween, bats have a prominent place in all the scary decorations. And there's the whole thing about the vampire bats. And so I wanted to originally do one on bats. But we're a little bit more enlightened now, aren't we, Karen? <laughs> yes, that's the thing. <laughs> bats are our friends. Right. They're actually not scary. They're incredible creatures who are vital vital to our ecosystem. And so, you know, I read The Secret Lives of Bats, and I started doing the research, and the episode was really turning into more of a love story about bats than a, than a scary Just Halloween story. weirder. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. We're still on the first paragraph of the first page of this episode. I know. It is um, Bat Week. The National Park Service celebrates Bat Week, so everybody can go out and celebrate our bats. You know, I used to be afraid of bats, too, until we started doing the National Parks trip and we learned about how they're our friends. And all those places that we slept outside, like the houseboat on Lake Powell and on the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon, we would have those bats just swirling above our faces catching insects. And some of them buzzed us. They did buzz us. You could feel them smack your chest as they came by and got a bug. That's what they were doing. They were getting bugs. Exactly. I guess they eat their weight in insects every night. (laughs) Anyway, that combined with, I think, all of the the bat knowledge that we learned doing the The bat bat cave tours. (laughs) You know, those rangers on the cave tours have all kinds of great bat information. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So explaining what this episode's not about... It's going to go on for a half an hour. we're done. All right. (laughs) We're done. So we decided to go with the most basic of Halloween terrors, which are ghosts, and specifically ghosts in haunted national park lodges. I cannot wait. I know. So here we go. Now, I will say this first hotel is not a national park lodge. Okay, so we're not going to do that. Well, there's a reason for this. Okay. The Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which sits right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park, is not a national park lodge. But the Stanley Hotel is like what people think of when they think of haunted hotels. It's it's the poster child. It's the poster child (laughs) of haunted hotels. Not haunted National Park Lodges, but it's it gets front and center. It gets number one spot on our list of ghost stories about cool lodge-like buildings. Exactly. 
I'll try to be brief on this, but the Stanley Hotel story began when inventor Freeland Stanley was stricken with tuberculosis and he traveled to the Estes Park area in 1903 in hopes of uh, getting his health back. So back then when someone had tuberculosis, the recommended treatment was fresh air, lots of sunlight, and a hearty diet. And after just one summer, his health was restored, and he credited this to Colorado's uh, fresh air and sunshine. So at this point, Stanley decided to build a large hotel in, in the Estes Valley that would remind him of the grandeur of the hotels on the East Coast where he was from. Did he have a wife? He did. Flora. Did I leave out Flora? Thank you. He and his wife. They actually wanted to turn Estes Park into a resort town. So his hotel opened in 1909, and his guests were blown away by how fantastic it was. It was a 48-guest room hotel surrounded by wilderness, but he featured electricity and telephones and modern bathrooms and a maid and a cooking staff all dressed up in professional uniforms. Uh, And at night, there were formal dinners and concerts and billiards and matt there was a whiskey bar all right i know i think you would have fit a right little in. less scary now right so stanley died in 1940 at the age of 91 and by the 1970s the hotel splendor had faded due to lack of care and lack of investment so it might have eventually been torn down except for a visit by author stephen king yes yeah, stephen king We can't have a Halloween episode without mentioning Stephen King. Well, we really can't. The most prolific horror writer probably ever. And he had a kind of a rough career. You know, if you read his book on writing, he talks about his early career and struggles as a writer. Uh, And then he finally, Carrie was the first book that he really had commercial success and that kind of started his career. And But after Carrie, he was still trying to write the next big hit. He was. He did struggle early in his career, and I didn't realize this, but he and his wife lived in Boulder, Colorado at the time. This is in the early 1970s. And so one weekend, he and his wife, whose name is Tabitha, and Tabitha, that's from Bewitched. Yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of a coincidence? I I was hoping when I read that (laughs) that we could go past that quickly without you mentioning that, but... But we didn't. Uh, No, we didn't. So Stephen and Tabitha traveled an hour north to Estes Park for a weekend getaway from their kids. And when they got to the Stanley Hotel, it was open, but it was the last day of the season. The hotel closed in the winter when he and Tabitha showed up looking for rooms. And they happened to be on that day as everyone was leaving. They happened to be the only guests in the hotel. And after an evening at the hotel's restaurant and bar, Stephen and his wife retired to their room, which happened to be room 217. And when he fell asleep, Stephen had this horrific nightmare where he dreamed of a coiled fire hose coming to life and chasing his screaming son as he ran down the halls of the hotel. And so as the story goes, when Stephen King woke up, he lit a cigarette, he stared out the window, and by the time he had finished his cigarette and gone back to bed, the rough outline of the Shining, his book, The Shining, was fully formed in his mind. This book was his third major work, his first hardcover bestseller, and it put the Stanley Hotel on the map. Yeah, it really did, because the hotel really is a character. 
in, exactly. in the movie. A matter of fact, I mean, it's like the main character, right? And so, yeah, that book was published in 1977. And then pretty quickly after that, 1980, they made a, the movie from the book. Uh, Jack Nicholson was the main character. And of course, that that did a lot for Jack Nicholson's career because he did such a great job in that, that movie. But uh, yeah... The story's main character, whose name is also Jack, is a writer who takes a job as the winter caretaker at the Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies with his wife and young son. After a winter storm leaves them trapped, Jack discovers the hotel's dark secrets and begins to unravel, terrorizing his family. But uh, I, I love the one scene where you know his wife gets more and more concerned as the story goes on about... Jack, the main character's mental health. And finally, she goes into the room where he's writing the book one day, and there's a stack of typed pages. And she thinks, well, it's the manuscript. I'm going to read what, what he's written. And it all has one line on it, the same line typed over and over. I think it was uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Right. And that was the point where she knew there was a problem. He kind of descends into madness, and they are trapped in this hotel, the only people there as caretakers. That's probably the scariest movie I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, really well done, and just typical Stephen King. Again, another, another book and movie that really helped his career early on. Even though in the book he named the hotel The Overlook, it's widely known that his stay in the Stanley Hotel was the inspiration for the story. Yeah, but none of it's true, right, Karen? No. <laughs> <laughs> About a writer with writer's block descending into madness. <laughs> well, that's, yes, we, we know that part's true. But I mean, at the, at the Stanley Hotel, there's there's never really been any ghost at the Stanley Hotel, have there, Karen? Well, interesting <laughs> you would ask that, Matt, because there were strange paranormal activities before Stephen King stay there, specifically in room 217, which was the same room he stayed in. So what happened was in June of 1911, now, the hotel is only two years old at this time. Uh, apparently, there was a flood in the valley. The hotel's power went out for the first time. And Freeland Stanley installed gas lanterns in each room to provide the guests with a light. And I guess a leak caused a buildup of gas to form in room 217. So when the head chambermaid, Elizabeth Wilson, entered the room with a lit candle, she set off a massive explosion. I guess she was launched from the room's entrance to the dining hall located on the first floor, but she miraculously survived. After waking up from a coma, Wilson returned to work in 1913 and remained employed by the hotel until 1950. So she hadn't she hadn't had enough. She had not. I hope she got so some she, good workers' comp right, from that. So a couple years later, she decides it'd be a good idea to go back. Exactly. For decades. Anyway, this is where Wilson's story should end, but it doesn't. According to some hotel guests and staff, her spirit is said to still inhabit room 217. However, reports claim that she's more helpful than scary. Guests have shared stories of waking up in their room with their clothes folded and their suitcases organized. I need that That's, ghost. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> For, for your your side of the hotel room, right. please. We need Elizabeth to come to our hotel room. And then one couple told a staff member at the Stanley that their bed was made around them during the middle of the night with them still inside the bed. Yeah, that's never happened in our hotel room. I can tell you that. 
<laughs> no, it hasn't. Now, we haven't actually stayed at the Stanley. I know we've talked in the past about our multiple trips to Estes Park with our kids when they were young, when we visited Rocky Mountain National Park. And we have been to the Stanley, and we've had lunch on that front porch. That's right. Yeah, it's it's a cool hotel, and I'm glad that it, it got revitalized, and now it's in healthy economic condition. That's right. Which I think it is, right? It's, oh, yes. Yeah, now it's, it's very popular. It's been renovated. It's beautiful. And... Unlike in the past when Stephen King was staying there, it is open all year round. They no longer close in the winter. Yeah, my favorite story about the Stanley Hotel has nothing to do with ghosts. A few years ago, in 2018, a bear wandered into the hotel in the middle of the night. So at 4 a.m., he walked in, just walked in the front door, hung out in the lobby, got up on the couches, and I think the the night manager that somebody working at that time got a video of it that's pretty amazing actually i would rather see a bear in the hotel than a ghost oh you would (laughs) well (laughs) not in my room not tucking me in but (laughs) the bear fold your clothes and organize your suitcases not sure teach them to do that yeah that's a cool story i wonder how he got in the front door if they just had a i think he just walked he just grabbed the handle leaned against it so yeah, that's uh, so that's the Stanley Hotel. Yes, it is. Now I want to talk about the Awani Hotel in Yosemite National Park next because this also has a tie to the movie The Shining. I think what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't realize this, even though we've been to the Awani several times, is that the lobby, the Great Lounge, and those double red door elevators are also portrayed in The Shining. I guess designers, set designers, incorporated some of these places into sets for the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, what what a great job that would be, is your job is to go to all the National Park Lodges and get design elements for a movie. We, we are available if anyone out there <laughs> wants to hire us as a consultant to movies or really anything. They, causes us to have to go to all the National Park Lodges. We could do that. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, when we first saw The Shining, gosh, it's been 25 years or so, we hadn't been to the Iwani yet, so I didn't recognize any of those sets. But I was watching a clip on YouTube the other day, and I thought Jack Nicholson is sitting in the in the great room of the Iwani. It looks exactly like the Iwani. And of course, it wasn't. They didn't film it there, but they did a fantastic job copying those sets and putting it into, into the movie. I love the great room at the Iwani and then the little side rooms that they have. And every time we've been in there... It hasn't been very crowded. I mean, there have been times when we're the only ones in there. And, you know, I I get that sometimes people are out seeing the park. But, like, even at night, uh, it's fun to go down there and have a glass of wine and read a book. And it kind of feels like your own family room for the evening. And you don't have to be a guest at the Iwani. We have stayed there once. It's very pricey. That's why we've only stayed there once. But any visitor to the park is welcome in the hotel. And you can go back into this great lounge and these other rooms. There's a very cool library back there. And you can wander around and you can sit by the fireplace. And like you said, Matt, have a drink or read your book. 
That's right. But it's it's open to the public. So go back and look at it and, and hang out for a while. So this ghost story at the Iwani has a lot to do with the with the very, very early history of uh, of the park. So I just wanted to talk about this and you'll see where I'm going yeah, as yeah, I get Karen, through it. Before you, before you talk about the ghost, give us a little history. Could you do that? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> okay. So we all know, uh, I won't do this as a pop quiz because I know you know this, Matt. Yosemite became a national park in 1890. And Two local school teachers, David and Jenny Curry, arrived in Yosemite Valley in 1899. They started a tent camp in the valley at the base of Glacier Point, where for $2 a day, they provided guests with a tent and some and some good food. Now, this couple, the Currys, had previously taken guests on guided tent camping trips to Yellowstone from 1892 to 1898. They would go by train to Idaho Falls, and from there, they would travel in horse-covered wagons. So they had experience as tour guides and kind of concessionaires, if you want to call them that. Yeah, they had a lot of energy, didn't they? Can you imagine that back no. in the day? No. What that would have been like? I mean, Yellowstone was was still a brand new park, and it's it said they went in the west entrance. I'm not sure if all those park entrances were open back at the at the very beginning, but what an adventure that would have been. Yeah, that's a long haul. That's a very long haul. Yeah, even and, if you do part of it on train. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons that they got tired of doing that by 1898. So they decided they wanted to find a closer park, which, of course, for them, living in California, was Yosemite. So that first summer, they set up a, you know, a camp. It consisted of seven tents and one larger one to serve as a dining room and kitchen. And the Currys had one cook, and they um, had students from Stanford University working for room and board. Now, that first year, they had 290 people register, so they quickly built 18 more tents uh, to handle the unexpected volume of business. This was originally called Camp Sequoia, but the name was shortened thereafter to Camp Curry. Uh, Now, the camp continued to prosper, and by 1922, Camp Curry had grown to 650 tents, 60 rooms and cottages, a cafeteria, a bakery, an ice plant, a candy kitchen, a soda fountain, a studio, laundry, bathhouse, pool, auditorium, bowling alley, pool hall, a post office, and a store. And everyone knows it today as Curry Village. Yeah, the Currys were getting on it, weren't they? Oh, my gosh. They built an empire. Basically, from this humble beginning, the Curry Company, which was the family's uh, business, they dominated the politics of the park for decades. So when David Curry died in 1917 from blood poisoning caused by a foot injury, the management of Camp Curry was left to his widow, Jenny, who was then known as Mother Curry. She received help from her children, particularly her daughter, Mary, and Mary's husband, Donald Tressiter. Okay, so here's where. So, okay. <laughs> So that's really fascinating. Thank you, now, everyone, for tuning all, in to our episode. It all ties in. In 1925, the Park Service decided to grant a monopoly to single entities to run the hotel and food services in each park. So this is where the the concept of having a concessionaire started and grew. So in response, the Curry Company and the Yosemite National Park Company were merged to create one large concessions company. And the president was Donald Tressiter, Mary's husband. So as part of this reorganization, the newly formed company proposed 
a new luxury hotel, the Awani. So Donald Tresseter oversaw the building of the Iwani Hotel and several other major structures within the park. When the Iwani Hotel opened in 1927, the entire sixth floor was a large open ballroom. Several years later, it was converted to the private residence of Donald Tresseter and his wife, Mary Curry Tresseter. Okay, how cool would that be? You have the entire sixth floor of the Iwani Hotel to live in. <laughs> I don't know. Would there be ghosts tucking me in at night? What's the haunted story you haven't mentioned yet? Well, the haunting hasn't actually occurred yet. In fact, not for another 20-some years after Donald's death in 1948. Mary continued to live in the Awani until her death in 1970. Inside her apartment, she died in there. After she died, the sixth floor was remodeled as public guest rooms and parlors. And since then, the ghost of Mary Curry Tresseter has been haunting the hotel. Allegedly, her spirit still hangs around her room and the floor's hallways, where her apparition is commonly cited by staff and guests. It seems, however, she continues to look after her guests even from the other side. So like the ghost at the Stanley Hotel, reports of being tucked into bed or having clothes folded up on their own are very common. At the Iwani? Yes. So apparently so these people, ghosts are tidy. I think people are coming in their rooms. At night. night. Yeah. <laughs> just weird, which is just as scary. That's even scarier, yeah. actually. There's one more haunting in the hotel that's not linked to Mary. Actually, it's linked to John F. Kennedy and his stay on the third floor in 1962. At the time, he made a special request to have a rocking chair placed in his room because I guess he was having a lot of back trouble. So the rocking chair was removed after the former president left. However, it has since made a reappearance following Kennedy's death. Staff and guests have made reports that a rocking chair moving by itself has been sighted in rooms on the third floor. And despite the chair's removal, it continues to rock. Wait, so the chair's been removed, but it rocks <laughs> wherever it is where it was removed yes, to? That's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> A little hard to understand, too. <laughs> but yeah, scary also. Yeah, I'm not making this stuff up, Matt. <laughs> of course not. This is all true stuff. Yeah. Now, if I were to come back as a ghost, I would want to be Mary Curry Tresador because just think about what her life was like. She grew up in the tent camps in the heart of Yosemite Valley. You know, she had all of these wild experiences. And then once she was married and the Iwani was built, she lived in the lap of luxury in an apartment in the Iwani. She spent her entire life in Yosemite National well, Park. Yeah. After she worked the cafeteria and baked all the goods and <laughs> built an ice plant and then a candy oh, kitchen and well, sure. ran the soda fountain. Yeah, she was just glad for it all to be over. Well, the Currys did work extremely hard. And from everything I read, they were extremely well-liked, which is another reason that people started flocking to Curry Village, Curry Camp, because they were friendly. They were tour guides. They loved Yosemite. So Everything that Yosemite National Park is today, at least as far as the lodging, has their roots in, in the Curry family. Very cool. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so that is Yosemite. Mm-hmm. What's our next National Park Lodge to talk about, Karen? So next up, we're going to go to Glacier National Park in Montana and talk about the Belton Chalet. Actually, Glacier has at least two haunted National Park Lodges, but that's not surprising considering the the quantity of lodges and the history, how far back they go. Yeah, and the number of ghosts in the, just the general area. <laughs> so you would expect them to be kind of hanging out in the lodges, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah. So if you haven't been to the Belton Chalet yet, this lodge is located on Highway 2, and it's across from the West Glacier entrance. Yeah, we've been there a few times. Mm-hmm. I, I love that little place. It took us a long time to find it. I don't know. We we had driven past it many on many, many visits, and finally we stayed there one time. It's like, why haven't we been staying here more often? It's physically outside the park. It's just literally across the road from, from the park. Yes, and we always had been focused on trying to get a reservation at Mini Glacier Hotel or Lake McDonald Lodge. Belton Chalet wasn't on our radar, but it is easier to get reservations at Belton Chalet, probably for that reason. Not everyone knows about it, whereas those other hotels book up, what, 12, 13 months? months ahead of time, a lot of times you can catch a reservation at the Belton Chalet a few months ahead of time. But this one, Belton Chalet, was one of the lodges built by the Great Northern Railway Company to attract people to the park and have a place for them to be when, when the trains brought them there. It was actually the first lodge out of all those lodges that the Great Northern Railway built. This was the first one. It was built between 1909 and 1913 under the guidance of the chairman of the board, Lewis Hill. And in the early days, the building that houses the restaurant and bar was actually the chalet. So the restaurant was the hotel. And then in 1913, they built the dormitory, which is now the main lodge. So things have kind of been shuffled around. That has the uh, front desk in it now, yes. today. Right. So the Belton has a little bit of a sad history in that when cars and airplanes overtook the train as the way to get to the park, the Belton Chalet kind of declined. And after World War II, the Chalet was sold numerous times and fell into neglect until until 1997 when it was purchased by a couple from Polson, Montana, which is right there in the area. They invested more than a million dollars to bring it back to its former glory. Uh, they had to reconstruct the roof, fix the foundation, rewire, replumb, and add bathrooms to each of the rooms in the lodge. I guess before 1997, those rooms did not each have their own bathroom. <laughs> yeah, which is typical of a lot of the lodges back then. Um, a lot of the lodges that have bathrooms now, they've been put in since. But yeah, that was a huge undertaking by this couple to, yeah. to take that place and renovate it the way they, they have. And it took them two years to complete all the work. And one of the cool things was all of the previous owners had left all of the furniture. Every time it sold, the furniture was just left in there. So they were able to um, save some of this period furniture back from the early days. And when you go in and you stay there now in that little kind of... um, It's not a great room. It's a very small great room by the fireplace. Front lobby. Yeah, the front lobby. There's a couch and chairs and a fireplace. And some of those pieces are original. Maybe that's where the ghosts are. Maybe the ghosts are (laughs) in the furniture, Karen. (laughs) 
Do you think? Maybe? Actually, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but they're in the hallway in the kitchen mostly, it sounds okay, like. I just wanted to say that um, this couple who bought and saved the Belton Chalet sold it in 2019 to Pursuit, which is a company that owns and manages other hotels in the area. Um, so let's talk about the haunting. Yeah, apparently the ghosts are part of the deal every time it's bought or sold. I right? guess so. They, they stay in the hotel. Now, we didn't realize it was haunted until the first time we stayed there when we went upstairs to our room. And by the way, this is small. There are two floors, no elevator. Uh, what about uh, 25 rooms, I think? But anyway, on the upstairs uh, hallway, there were newspaper clippings taped to the walls about the ghosts that haunt this hotel. That was the first we knew about it. That's right. We read those right before we went to bed. <laughs> yes. And it is kind of a creaky old hotel. For instance, there are hardwood floors. You know, it's not carpeted. And so that kind of lends to, I think, some of the creepiness. But this is what workers have reported. They say that the floors creak with footsteps when there's no one there. Chandeliers swing wildly, pots and pans clang in the kitchen, and heated rooms turn mysteriously cold. And at night, when all is quiet, they hear the soft cries from a man coming down that long upstairs hallway. Right outside the door of where we slept. All of that stuff could be us. Just- <laughs> I was going to say. That's... <laughs> Sounds of a youngish-looking older gentleman going to the bathroom seven times in the middle of the night. It's not a ghost, folks. Chandeliers swinging wildly? Check. (laughs) That's true. We've we've swung a few chandeliers in our day, haven't we, Karen? We have. Anyway, workers think that the ghost might be one of the Hill brothers, James or Lewis, but they nicknamed the ghost Bob. He's been described by witnesses as a man wearing a tall hat, coattails, and a thin black necktie. So they've actually seen, I mean... They've seen the guy. They've seen Bob. They've seen Bob. It's not a white apparition like you would think of a ghost. It's it's a man. Now, former manager Noreen Hansen suspects that Bob had once traveled to the area by rail because there are reports of Bob lurking around the train depot in West Glacier, which is right across the street from the chalet. Yeah, that's right. You can see it and hear it from the chalet. And she said in this article that I read, she said, quote, we called him Bob because he needed to have a name. We refer to him as a very mischievous ghost. The rooms would be totally empty. Nope even checked into them and the water would come on in either the sink or the shower and there were times like that when i would get a chill because i was like i know you're there end quote anyway another guest who stayed at the hotel recounted his haunting experience in a google review and he wrote my girlfriend and i were unable to sleep both nights as we kept hearing footsteps outside our door plus we heard a presence in the room a couple of times the sound of an old man moaning it wasn't me (laughs) that wasn't you (laughs) no okay So anyway, I thought this was interesting. At least one known attempt has been made to usher out the ghostly inhabitants. When the chalet was under this big renovation in the late 90s, the staff heard marbles rolling down the stairs and a little girl's laughter. So the owners hired a medicine man from the Blackfeet tribe to cleanse the lodge of its ghosts. So they thought the medicine man could like usher the Ghostly inhabitants out? Yes, and and give a blessing on the hotel. Now, I haven't heard if that's worked (laughs) or if they're still seeing the ghosts since then. I don't know. I think it's a big part of their marketing now, so... 
That's actually true. I was reading that there are a lot of people in the world who love the the whole ghost um, thing. Genre. Genre, thank you. And they go to these hotels to try to experience a ghost. Mm-hmm. So I think it does bring in some business. Yeah. Yeah, prob- probably does. <laughs> anyway, if you want to check out the ghosts in the Belton Hotel, it's open from mid-May to mid-October. But you know, Karen, that's not the only place in Glacier National Park where they have ghosts. It's not. <laughs> What's the other place, Matt? Well, I, I've heard. I just have heard stories that up kind of by the Many Glacier area, there are ghosts in the Many Glacier Hotel. That's right. Or experiences. So this was also built by the Great Northern Railway. And if you have been there, you will see the huge logs that serve as the roof beams and the lobby columns. Those were local trees that were cut down. A sawmill was erected near the hotel site, and they fashioned thousands of boards from the the trees that were cut down inside the park. Several hundred men built this hotel from 1914 to 1917. And for decades, it was the largest hotel in Montana. It has about 240 guest rooms in its main and annex wing, and it was built in the style of a Swiss chalet. It has those overhanging roofs and balconies, and it is it does almost feel like you're in Switzerland, doesn't it? It does have a Swiss feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's one of our favorite places to stay. It's one of my favorite lodges. I, I love that area, the Many Glacier area. Yes, it has the best hiking trails, in our opinion, in the entire park. And of course, the setting of the hotel on Swift Current Lake is one of the most stunning settings for any park lodge. That's right. Yeah. And you can sit on the back porch and overlook the lake. We've sat there with our binoculars and looked for wildlife. You can see moose. Often you can see brown bears. There are a wide variety of rooms available. So if you're booking online, you might just take a good look at that. Once we had this room, it was in the attic. We walked in and had one twin bed and we had to, we ordered a cot. There was really almost no space to put a cot. We had to wedge it under the these eaves where the roof was slanted down almost to the height of the cot. So I, I kind of snuggled in there. But I have to say it was one of the coziest rooms we've ever stayed in. It was very cozy. That's, that's <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. We loved it. And then we, we were lucky once to stay in a room with a view of Swift Current Lake, and that was cool, too. Yeah, that's kind of a lottery, whether or not you're going to get a room with a view. <laughs> we were there with John and Lolly, and, and we had two rooms, and we both just kind of chose the room that each couple was going to have randomly, not knowing anything about it. So we got to John and Lolly's room, and they had kind of a small room, no view, and they said, well, what is your room like? <laughs> and we we didn't want to tell them we that did. we had this spectacular view of the <laughs> lake in the park. And we said, oh, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Yeah, it's fair. It's just yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the haunting of Many Glacier Hotel. All right. Let's talk about it. Okay. So I was reading some of these ghost stories from caretakers who have stayed there in the winter because, of course... The many glacier area where this hotel is located is closed. The road is closed in the winter. And so no one can get to or from the hotel. So they have winter caretakers there. And to me, that would be like the perfect place to be a winter caretaker, don't you think? Yeah, yes, if you wanted to be a winter caretaker. <laughs> That would be a good place to do it. And they get a ton of snow. It's not like a dusting or 
a foot of snow on the roads. You you are you are buried in there. You are buried. And just think of the wildlife sightings. No people out there. I mean, it would be a whole other world. It would be the shining for sure. So every winter, they have winter caretakers. Two of them, Kate Richardson and Jason Wilmot, had heard all the ghost stories in the past. But then when they were caretakers, and they were in the hotel together for two months in the winter, basically stranded in there due to snow, strange things started happening. So one of their jobs as caretakers is they had to check every single room at least once a week. Just in case, you know, something happened. And so I think they started, they would each take turns checking the rooms. And they quickly decided that it was best for them to check the rooms together. I would not go anywhere in that hotel by myself in the winter. No, no, you want to, you want to go with, with a partner. Absolutely. So they tell a story of one time, one of the windy days. It was the day after they had checked all the rooms in the hotel. And when they came into the lobby of the hotel, they heard the sound of piano music. And just like in a horror movie, they were drawn towards the sound of the music. How could this be happening when there was no one else in the hotel but them? So all the pianos at the time were in the San Moritz room downstairs. So they went down there and the pianos were not being played. So they went back upstairs and in the gift shop, they found a cassette playing. Those ghosts, man, they (laughs) love to play the cassette players. They couldn't figure it out because the gift shop is an inside room. No wind could get in there and no answer was ever found as to how the cassette player showed up and who turned on the, the cassette player. That's a ghost. Yeah, it had to have been, Matt. It absolutely had to have been. That's right. There's one more story from another winter caretaker named Steve Lautenbach, who spent several winters overseeing the hotel before he died unexpectedly in 2008 at the age of 37. Um, So he had a lot of stories about hauntings. And he said that on one occasion, he'd been making his rounds when he discovered an empty wine bottle in the hallway. And then he noticed that the glass doors of the wine case were wide open, and one of the slots was empty. Of course, no one had stayed at the hotel for months, and there were no footprints in the fresh snow outside. Somebody had gotten in and gotten a bottle of wine. Yeah, Maybe the person was already inside. <laughs> That's even scarier. Yeah. yeah, just imagine somebody could probably live in there without being detected. You know, if they if they hid under a bed when the rooms were being checked. You and- think that's all, all you, you just <laughs> hide under the bed. And, I guess. And then, okay, let's, let's, let's stay with that story. <laughs> then you stay in that room for a few months. That's all you do. Okay. I guess you would need some food to go with that wine. Yes, you would. <laughs> yeah, so that might be an issue. Uh, also, I don't know if they turn the heat off in those rooms. Could be a little chilly. I would love to be a caretaker yes! of a lodge. That's, I, that's, we also are, are available for anyone out there. I was thinking we should try to be a caretaker at Many Glacier. Wouldn't that be? We could write a book about oh God, it. yeah. <laughs> As we're staying there. (laughs) I'm already frightened. You'll have writer's block. There'll be a major snowstorm. (laughs) Red red rum, red rum. Red rum. (laughs) All right. We'll look into that and see what the requirements are. I'm not sure if we are um, qualified for that. Okay. We have a couple more stories, and then we can save 
the remaining three quarters of our outline for next year. <laughs> That's right. Our podcast it, will be ready to it'll go. All, our outline for next year is already done. Okay. I want to talk about Oregon Caves National Monument. And the hotel there is called the Oregon Caves Chateau. Yeah, we have never been there. Uh, people have recommended it to us many, many times. We're always just going somewhere. I think we're usually driving from Seattle to Northern California to start a trip where we're hiking in the Redwoods or going to Lassen National Park, and we just don't have time to stop. But we should visit that sometime. Well, it depends. I, I haven't heard the ghost story yet. so <laughs> We should visit. Now, this National Monument is in southwest Oregon, and it's very close to the California border. For us, it's about an eight-hour drive, so it's not, not super close. But like you said, Matt, we could visit it on our way to Redwoods National Park because we've passed the turnoff for this monument. But it always seems like we're going in the months when, when the cave tours are not being offered. And we'll talk about that a little later. Also, this Oregon Cave Chateau that we're going to talk about is currently closed for a two-year renovation. Um, this historic hotel really needed to be upgraded as far as a new fire suppression system, um, putting in alarms and emergency lighting, also um, increasing accessibility for people with, with mobility limitations. So they're basically doing a huge renovation project right now. Have they tried to usher the ghosts out during the renovation? So what was the term? I don't think that they have contacted the, the local native tribes there. The medicine man? The medicine or man. woman. Um, maybe get a medicine woman. That sure. Might, that might work. Now, the Chateau is one of the smaller national park lodges. It's a six-floor rustic hotel that was built in 1934, and it only has 23 rooms. But it's typical of all those other National Park Service rustic structures from that same period. It has the huge log posts and beams, rock fireplaces, and lots of exposed wood. Its exterior walls are shingled with tree bark, and I've seen photos, and this looks like a hotel that could be haunted. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what the ghosts like. I mean, all that stuff. You said bark on the outside? Yeah. that's You're just asking for ghosts if, yes. if you put bark on the side of your lodge. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, one of the things that's cool about this chateau is its location. So it's built between the steep banks of a creek bed, and it spans the, the stream like a dam, but the creek creek actually flows through the bottom of the building, which I can't quite picture how that's done. Yeah, I don't know, because we've never been there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when you go in the front of the building, it's three stories high. But due to the, the steep drop off in the back of the site, the back of the building is six floors above the creek below. Okay, so Karen, what about the hauntings? I want to hear about the hauntings before I commit to okay. staying there. <laughs> Here's the story. Elizabeth, I don't have Elizabeth's last name. It's funny, this is the second Elizabeth we're going to talk about. Back in the 1930s, so, you know, this uh, chateau is brand new, Elizabeth and her new husband were honeymooning at the chateau. And on the evening of their wedding night, he left her. Uh, he left the room, and when he didn't return, she went looking for him. Uh, unfortunately, she found him with one of the chateau's chambermaids. It's, and he had a scary night <laughs> after that, I'm sure. Yes. And now distraught over her discovery, Elizabeth fled up to her top floor room, number 310. 
Some say her new husband rushed up after her where they argued and in anger, he shoved her out the window. But most say that she was alone in the room and in her anguish, she leaped to her death from the window. Once Elizabeth was out the window, there was very little hope for her. She would have slid quickly down the very steep rain-slicked shingles to the edge of the upper roof. And from there, she would have dropped one floor crashing onto the roof of the shed dormer below. Then a horrifying slide to the edge where she fell five stories past the large picture window in the lobby to an impact on that rocky creek bed below. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very, very sad and tragic story. Room 310. Yes. We'll have to ask for that one when we make our reservation. They say whenever a guest checks into room 310, Elizabeth leaves the room and wanders the hallway. She is said to go hide in the third floor linen closet where she moans and cries. Oh, so if you check into 310, she leaves. Apparently. But if you need some fresh towels, call housekeeping. Do not open the linen closet door. Anyway, if you are into this scary type of Halloween fun, the uh, National Park Service at the caves, they offer a haunted candlelight tour of the caves where you can hear spooky stories of local history. You can walk amongst the bats and the spiders and discover the lesser known tales of these dark caves. Uh, Now, in the past, these haunted tours were offered on October 30th and 31st. But I did notice that they have been suspended this year. So we'll have to check back next year, Matt, and see if that's something that we could do if they start those up again. So there's ghosts in the caves also? Well, I don't know. Apparently, they're... Um, they're bats and spiders. Bats and spiders. As we know, both of those are friends, but I think they maybe try to work up a scary story around the bats and spiders and ghosts, you know, just to, uh-huh. to get people in the spirit. Now, the Chateau is typically open early May through October, and this surprised me. It's at 4,000 feet elevation. So it's snowy there. Right. The monument is open all year, but I read that snow can temporarily close the roads until they have a chance to plow them. But here's the thing. The the cave tours are not offered from late fall to mid-spring. And as you said, Matt, the chateau is closed. So I am not sure what people would do there in the winter if you manage to, to get through the snow and get up there. You can only access the caves by tour. So I don't know. Maybe you could snowshoe yeah i don't know what else is up there we'll have to check it out sometime yeah one thing i want to do good news for you is they have an (laughs) off trail caving tour so during this three-hour experience we (laughs) and up to six other people can scramble over boulders belly crawl and negotiate tight squeezes as small as 11 inches high by 19 inches wide. I'm going to take a piece of plywood and I'm going to make a hole in it that's 11 inches high by 19 inches wide. And maybe we'll do a little video. Maybe this is something we put on our Patreon account. And you will squeeze through that 11 inch by 19 inch hole. You know, that's actually a really smart idea because what if we couldn't fit Hmm. and then you're in a cave and you can't get through? Well... It would be better if you're going to get stuck. It's better to do it at home and just have a piece of plywood stuck around your midsection. And then what? Would you saw me out? No, no. (laughs) I'd let you think about it for a while. Stay tuned for that. (laughs) might slow down the cave tour uh, reservations. It might. Yeah. 
It might. Well, but no, while you're stuck in there, I'll, then I'll dangle bats and spiders on you. And and you need and, to plunge me into darkness. Yeah, <laughs> turn, I'll turn the lights off. And reduce uh, the reduce the temperature of our house to about 54 degrees. So right. can you do all that? Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. All right, Karen, I think we have time for one more ghost story. Okay, I'm going to choose out of the remaining ones we have, I'm going to choose Kettle Falls Hotel in Voyagers National Park up in Minnesota because this is such an unusual place that I think most people have not had a chance to visit. I know, I like that lodge because you can stand there at the lodge and look south into Canada. I know, isn't that such an odd sensation? It is, yeah. So Kettle Falls Hotel is the only authorized concession inside the park. And like you said, Matt, it's located almost right on the Minnesota-Canadian boundary. Yeah, there's no roads up there. It's... You can only get there in the warm months by boat or seaplane and then a snowmobile once the lake freezes in the winter. The Kettle Falls Hotel isn't open in the winter. So if you're snowmobiling up there, you're doing other things besides yeah, yeah, you're just <laughs> staying at the hotel. Yeah, just out, out in wilderness, <laughs> goofing around. Exactly. So there's such an interesting history up there, as you might imagine. The Kettle Falls area was a main artery. It was a heavily traveled route between the United States and Canada. Native people gathered and hunted here. Voyagers paddled and portaged through the area with their goods and their furs that they were trading. And prospectors traveled to this uh, stopping place on their way to the Rainy Lake gold mines. So it saw all kinds of traffic for hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the National Park and that protecting that lakes area. It was, it was an economic center back in the day for all the traders. Right. So the Kettle Falls Hotel was uh, built in 1913. It was constructed by Ed Rose and reportedly financed by Madame Nellie Bly. So then in 1918, Robert Williams purchased the five-year-old Kettle Falls Hotel for $1,000 and four barrels of whiskey. Hmm. I wonder <laughs> if they still have any of that whiskey left. Would it be good if it were aged for, well, for more than 100 years? I think if it was kept in bottles and, and bottled correctly, it probably would. But uh, I've, I've always wondered what the whiskey was like back then. Well, since you mention it, the area has a fascinating history of bootlegging lumberjacks and ladies of the night. Apparently, this Robert Williams who bought it had a number of run-ins with the law, and he was charged with selling illegal whiskey in Kettle Falls and later operated stills and a smuggling operation. Yeah, and then in the early 1970s, uh, President Richard Nixon signed a bill that established Voyagers as the 36th National Park. And in 1977, the Park Service bought the hotel, which the Williams family continued to run. It was renovated in 1987, and they kept most of the original characteristics, including, and I didn't notice this when we were there, Matt, but apparently the bar floor is tilted. And so people who are playing pool have a little bit of a challenge in, in trying to, to get that ball into the pocket. I do think we uh, <laughs> learned that when we were at the lodge, we had taken a boat tour in the park, went to the lodge. We had lunch there. We're able to tour the lodge. And if you visit Voyagers National Park, you've got to see it from the water. There's really not much else to do. So it was an all-day ranger-led boat tour. I think we left from Cabotogama Visitor Center. Yeah. <laughs> it took us a long time to figure out how to pronounce that. <laughs> That's right. We were, we were on a, a fairly fast-moving pontoon boat. 
the boat dropped us off at Kettle Falls Hotel for a few hours, and we had a chance to to check out the hotel. We didn't stay there, which I would like to, because apparently, Matt, the bar is haunted. This is a haunted bar, which is right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it up my alley? <laughs> because you like to spend time in bars. <laughs> so apparently, Blanche Williams, the wife of Charles Williams, who was the first hotel concessionaire, would occasionally hear a party going on in the bar room during the middle of the night. So knowing that the bar was supposed to be closed, Blanche would investigate, and each time she would reach the bottom of the lobby stairs, the noise from the bar room would stop. And when she unlocked the the door of the bar, she would find the room empty and quiet, but smelling of beer and cigarette smoke. Yeah, but it always smells like beer and (laughs) cigarette smoke. So I don't know that you can say that though. that was due to the ghost. That's a good point, Matt. Yeah. Maybe it just lingers. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, this has happened time and time again throughout different decades and experienced by different workers in the hotel. Yeah. And, you know, this is not a huge lodge. No. I mean, it's a fairly small hotel. It only has 12 guest rooms. Yes. So very small. Some of them have a little kitchenette and a porch. Yeah, it would be a fun place to stay for the night. Now, the hotel is open from May through September. And if you have reservations there, the hotel will pick you up on their boat from the Ash River Visitor Center, get you to the hotel, and then take you back again after your stay. Now that I know the bar is open all night, we'll definitely have to stay there. That's my kind of haunting. <laughs> it is. So that is it for for our Halloween episode of Haunted Park Lodges. These historic park lodges are always fun to stay in. And the idea that you might run into a ghost from past years just makes it all the more fun. That's a bonus. It's a bonus. You don't have to pay anything extra for that. <laughs> right. It comes with the room. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us today. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back next week with a non-haunted episode about Canyonlands National Park, where we'll do an overview of things to do and see in three of the four units that everyone should visit. November will be packed with new episodes, including our annual gift guide. That's always fun. I I love gifts. (laughs) So that's it from us. Karen, are you sad that your Halloween episode is over and you have to wait another 12 months until the next one? I'm very, very sad.